Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. I've been uh, burning the midnight oil, uh, consuming copious amounts of energy drinks and coffee, worrying all night as to which NHL player will top my Lady Bing ballot. Greg, I've been stressing for weeks. I don't believe we should vote for this. I'm staring at my Google document. Everything else is filled in. My heart trophy. I've got it. Norris. Got it. Calder. Lady Bing, I just don't know the criteria. I don't think I'm qualified. I've never had more questions about uh, my accidental existence on life. I, I, As people know, I have certain hang-ups when it comes to the NHL awards, which uh, are being voted on. By the way, for those who don't know, the awards voting ends um, basically right before the games begin on Wednesday. So your favorite writers are currently... Uh, processing out their uh, hearts and Norris's and Selkies and Calder's and what have you. The Lady Bing, as you know, is one of my biggest hangups because I kind of hate the award uh, in in its existence. But if we're ever going to give out an award for gentlemanly play, the least qualified people on the planet to identify a gentleman <laughs> are hockey writers. It's just so it's just not even close. So I've always said that the award should be given by the NHL Officials Association. Uh, maybe by the players themselves, not by the writers. The writers ultimately just end up with the person with the most points and the fewest penalty minutes every single year. Uh, so congratulations probably to Alex, uh, Alexander Barkov, uh, for winning it, uh, this year because his whole, his whole thing was like he had like a, a billion penalties drawn and like two or three taken. Um, so he'll probably win, but again, it's, it's a dumb award. Nobody wants it. And if they're going to give it out, don't let the hockey writers give it out. Honestly, I'd rather see what Tyler Sagan suggested to me in the preseason. Let's, like, give out a best guy award. Criteria? <laughs> just the best guy. Just the dude guy. you want to have a brew with. Just a guy. Just a guy. All right, coming up on ESPN on Ice, a big show. Woof. Joel Quenville, head coach of the Florida Panthers. Uh, plus, John Butchagrass of ESPN talks about the playoffs and the Frozen Four. And then full. East-West first-round Stanley Cup playoff previews and some lottery talk as well. Coming up on ESPN and Ice, let's start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on Ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. What up, what up? It is ESPN on Ice, the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. I am Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, NHL national nationwide reporter stationed in the East for the playoffs. There it is. Yeah, for those uh, who are curious, uh, Emily will be starting her playoff journey with the Bruins uh, Maple Leaf series in Boston. And I will be uh, here in San Jose to kick off the Sharks and the Golden Knights. These are the two series that are... Television overlords have indicated to us are probably the sexiest when it comes to Emily and I being on the air to talk about them. And so hence, we will be covering them off the hop. So if you're in Boston and and see Emily, say hi. And if you're in San Jose and see me at the game or just at home. Yeah, just living in San Jose, say hi. (laughs) Let him walk in peace, my friend. Yeah, no, it's fine. If I'm at the rink or at the library or most likely having a beer and a burrito, say hi. Burrito's out here, by the way. Chef's kiss. Who knew? Um, Let's get right into it because we've got a lot on the show today. Eastern Conference playoffs, they begin on Wednesday, as do all the playoffs. But we'll talk about the East to start off with because of bias and such. The Tampa Bay Lightning against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Now, I checked the odds this morning. 
before we uh, came on the air through uh, Westgate Sportsbook, which is the sportsbook that I use when I make my appearances on the on the daily wager on ESPN News, which I hope you're enjoying. The Tampa Bay Lightning, as of right now, are a minus 425 money line pick against the Columbus Blue Jackets for the totality of their series. So to win $100, you would wager $425 on the Lightning. Uh, that is the kind of favorite that we're talking about here. And I still might I- do it. <laughs> I got the Lightning in five against the CBJ. Uh, a little bit of history here. The Lightning in, in their last four playoff series that have not been the conference finals have eliminated their opponents in five games. I think that holds. Let's, let's give, let's give Sergei Bobrovsky one game to make us think that maybe he'll round into playoff form and then watch the Lightning, the best regular season team in the last 20 years, perhaps of all time. Uh, roll through this series and win it in five games. Greg, I'm with you. I think as much as I'm a typical sports writer and I want to will the Columbus Blue Jackets into a long playoff run because that's good for our hashtag narrative, uh, the truth is the Lightning are just a deeper team, a better team. I agree with you. I think that Bobrovsky is going to really enjoy going up against Vasilevsky. I see at least one of these games being like this ultimate goalie duel uh, where they're just totally locked in. But uh, I just don't know if the Blue Jackets have the depth, uh, especially when it comes to the third and fourth lines uh, and defensive depth, really. I mean, the Lightning have been able to use like a guy like Jan Ruda and have him plug into the sixth defenseman spot and look fine. Uh, so <laughs> I, I just think for all of those reasons, the Lightning are going to overpower him. Uh, the series that I see as kind of a toss-up, in my opinion, Lightning, and by Lightning, I meant the Pittsburgh Penguins versus the New York Islanders. <laughs> this is where, an interesting one. This yeah, is an interesting one because the, the advanced stats community, um, by and large, has decided that this is extraordinarily lopsided in favor of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Now, I think that's partially because of the Penguins' ability to, you know, score goals. (laughs) (laughs) And the Islanders are not. New York Islanders are sometimes challenged by. But again, like, the the presence of Sidney Crosby and the amount of heavy lifting that his line has done from a goal-scoring perspective uh, is something that you can't overlook in this series uh that in a in a that versus islanders goaltending obviously best in the league best defense in the league perspective to me i like the penguins here in six i do think there are a couple of x factors here the first being the nassau coliseum that's a real big x factor and something that i don't think is getting chatted up about enough uh in in people prognosticating about these playoffs maybe it's because of my uh ptsd from having been there for Tavares night <laughs> that place could be an absolute madhouse for the first two games of this series and it's a very it's very possible the penguins might be running into a buzzsaw here but they're a veteran team they've been through it before they've won in hostile territory i think the other x factor is the health of the penguins malkin back latang back presumably dumoulin back mata all these guys kind of coming back at the same time combined with Matt Murray being a 927 goalie for the last two months, to me are an indication that the Penguins may be a little bit underrated in this series by the general public, but being rated correctly by the analytics community. I like the Penguins here in six. Yeah, I I think that was my pick uh, when I picked it on ESPN.com. Sidney Crosby, quite frankly, is having one of his most complete seasons as a pro. Like That's a guy you don't want to bet against at this time of year. And really, when it comes down to the Islanders, I know defense wins championships. Really, they've remarked me when you start looking at their defensive numbers. I mean, 
everybody from Devin Tays to Brian Boydstock are all playing the same amount of minutes. It's pretty incredible the um, the depth that they have there, but they don't have a superstar that I feel like can take over a game. Matt Barzell took a little bit of a step back. Uh, you know, he's leading them and he only has 62 points. Uh, so it really comes down to me of, I just think the Penguins uh, are going to get more pucks in net. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I think it's a situation where the, the Islanders generally all, def- all systems get a little bit more defensive in the, in the postseason. Mm-hmm. The Islanders are going to have to try to kind of like muscle their way to, to three, two wins or two, one wins. I think in this series against the Penguins, they certainly can't outgun them. Um, the question is, is can they do that against the Penguins team that I think is going to put some goals on the board? It's going to be a really interesting series, a, a definitely a, a throwback series for a lot of us who enjoyed the uh, the days of yore and the Patrick Division and when these guys would uh, face off against each other, especially with the games being in Nassau. But ultimately, I like the Penguins, I think, in this series, which will deprive us of Barry Trotz against the Capitals in the next round, uh, but give us Penguins uh, Capitals in the next round. Unless, Emily, you disagree with me, that the Capitals are going to win this series in five games, and you think that we are in store for a bunch of jerks upset in round one. I'd love to see a bunch of jerks upset. I just do not see it happening. Uh, I I believe in Alex Ovechkin this year. I really do. Um, I think that unlike last year, they didn't have this goaltending question mark heading into the playoffs. I I think that kind of started them off on a weird tone against the Blue Jackets last year. (laughs) Braden Hopey is the guy. And frankly, they just have more depth than the Hurricanes have as forwards. I mean, the third line for the Capitals has been really strong. Um, adding Carl Haglett, I think, has been a great addition. Their penalty kill looks a lot better. And when it comes to the Canes, I think this is going to be a star turn for Sebastian Ajo. I'm really excited to see him probably go up against Kuznetsov a bunch. Um, but behind that first line, there's just really not guys that you get scared about. Yeah, and in the Capitals' case, you'd need to show me some sort of you know flaw in this in this team or or. Uh, dysfunction on this roster to really convince me that they're an upset candidate because otherwise it's pretty much the same team that they had last year minus Michael Kempney on the on the back end due to injury plus Carl Hagelin up front and uh, and you know Holtby is is money in the playoffs everything else seems to be working okay um, if nothing else the psychology of this team has dramatically changed too since last season where mm-hmm. maybe if the Hurricanes do push it to a situation where they're you know tied after after four games or you know the the hurricanes are up or whatever uh maybe in the past the capitals would have been in their own heads about it but i think that's dead and buried now i mean you can go find the tombstone for capitals playoff psychology uh somewhere in dc because i think they're over it now so caps and five for me how many do you see and I wrote on ESPN.com, pa- Caps and Five. This is why you guys right. come to this uh, podcast for diversity of opinions. That's right. <laughs> Chaplin versus Wyshynski. Um, and then that leaves us with the uh, the Boston-Toronto series. We are the only is, people in the world to use this one last. This is – well, I this is the grand finale, man. This is one of maybe three series in the first round that I, I feel like are really sort of toss-up-y, up-in-the-air type deals – the other two being in the Western Conference, um, every single mo- most metrics. There's two metrics that that make me hope for the for the Leafs, which is that their shot generation in the offensive zone and their scoring chances in the offensive zone at five on five are both very exemplary, top of the league type stuff. Um, I believe the addition of John Tavares and Jake Muzzin um, are variables in this matchup that we can't quite measure yet in a series that went seven last year. I want to believe that Austin Matthews, having been through this once, 
may be a little bit more present than he was last year. And by that, I mean present at all. So there are some things that I'm counting on here from the Leafs against a very, very good Boston team. Good defensively, getting healthier, one of the best first lines in, in hockey for a few years running now, and a line that can win a series on its own. But I'm taking the Maple Leafs in seven Whoa. over the Boston Bruins. Do you know what I actually was wondering the other day? Like, we in hockey media make so much fun of the disproportionate amount of hockey reporters who are based in Toronto and therefore the disproportionate amount of Toronto content that we get in hockey media. But in the States, I wonder if a big enough deal is being made of what an incredible season that John Tavares had. With all the pressure against him and all the distractions that he had, like, he came and he was money for that team. Um, and I really do think that he is a difference maker in a series like this. So. All that said, I'm picking Bruins in seven because I think there's some <laughs> kind of psyche uh, with Toronto that's going on that's kind of yeah. bad juju that uh, Washington had to deal with for some time. I think they're in their own heads. There's the reports of the friction between the coach and GM and the egos on the team. And I just don't think they're quite there yet from a mental standpoint where Boston is. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. Um, that That has to be a factor in it, too, the fact that they are playing a team that they can't seem to beat. Um but it's their penguins. It's their penguins, and and maybe maybe the paradigm shifts. It really comes down to how many games Freddie Anderson can steal, because this is still a leaky, leaky defense, um, and not one that I'm really a fan of. But uh, up front, I mean, y- you stack up what the Leafs bring on their top three lines versus what the Bruins bring in their top three lines, and there ain't no comparison. Although, and, and by the way, if you really break down the numbers this year, and I know that injuries have played a role in it, but the Marner Tavares Hyman line. Yeah. Kind of better than the Bergeron line this year. I mean, blasphemy to say it, but the numbers are the numbers at five on five. And granted, it is a larger sample size, but that's the truth, man. That's been a better line this year than the Bergeron line, which is kind of weird to say, but I think speaks to how good the Tavares edition was. All right. So there you go. One series that Emily and I vehemently disagree on will come to blows when they see each other in person because of the incredible debate we just had about a series that could go coin flip either way in seven games. We need to break some bread first. It's going to be awkward, but we'll get over it. All right. Speaking of breaking bread, or maybe just bread in particular, as in like six mil a year, <laughs> Joel Quenville joins us now on the podcast. Joining us now on the line is Joel Quenville, Florida Panthers coach, and that will take some getting used to. But here you are, sir. And this is amazing. I, I, I appreciate you giving us some time on what I'm sure is a busy week for you. I wanted to start off by asking you about your old friend Dale Talon. Uh, you said that working with Dale again was a huge part of uh, coming to the Panthers. Can you talk to us a bit about what that relationship has meant to you and how important it is for you to be uh, on the same page as your general manager? Well, when I, uh, you know, I watched a lot of hockey games this year and I uh, got away from the game. And, uh, you know, and then you start looking and you start watching players and you're looking at teams and you're, you're thinking, uh, my motivation when I uh, left the game, I want to, I want to have a chance to win the cup and I want to be around good people. And, and Dale is one of those guys that, uh, you know, when I look back when he hired me in Chicago, a lot of parallels when we looked at each other's teams or looked back at that team and this team are similar. And, uh, that got us excited, got me excited. And, uh, you know things uh, develop quickly, and uh, and now we got to work with Dale, and uh, you know he's uh, he's pretty excited about uh, a lot of these players, a lot of the depth 
players that we have that kind of are kind of comparable to what we had back in the, in those days in Chicago, which I was fortunate to be a part of. And, uh, you know, we feel this is a young team that's uh, heading in a direction that uh, is close to being a playoff team as they, you know, you look at what they've done in the last couple of years. Pretty good records, uh, close, not getting uh, quite there. That's what we're trying to figure to get to, and that's uh, you know that's a playoff spot. And going from there is uh, anything can happen, and especially when you look at how close all the teams are right now, uh, heading into the playoffs. Joel, I want to be forward thinking and forward looking, and I will. But uh, I live in Chicago, and it feels like for a good month this winter and fall, all anybody wanted to talk about was you ripping Shotskis at Soldier Field with Bears fans. <laughs> so I just need to okay, ask let, you. I want to straighten it out. If you have one shot. Okay, it's like you had a million. I only had one shot. It was it was it was a perfect night. It was with the family. Everybody had a good time. It was a uh, it was a good game. We we you know, it was like uh, it was fun. We had a fun night. It was an awesome game. I was there too. It was a great game. But I just got to know: yeah. is that something you'd wanted to do for a while, and you're finally like, okay, this is my opportunity. I'm unemployed. I can just go and do this. No, it's a lot. Say, I could see if I was doing it. Uh, you know, it's hey, it was a fun game. It was a fun thing. And it's like, hey, you got a life. You got a family, and. Uh, you know, it's almost like when I look back, back uh, in other times uh, when I was let go, there was a lot of bitterness and, uh, and towards the organization, and it was like, okay, um, it's one of the drawbacks of our in our business uh, job security, and you, and you got to deal with it. And uh, but this was a situation where we were, uh, you know, we were we we're a lot more family time than I've uh, seen. We had a lot of family trips and uh, did a lot of different things and. Um, and, you know, got away from the game a little bit, and then now we have a chance to, uh, you know, to watch from uh, a different vantage point. And uh, now we're excited about uh, doing it for real again, and uh, the excitement here that's uh, around South Florida and the organization is real with Vinny and, and Dale and, and looking at uh, being as best we can to, to, to win a championship. And I think that uh, they got the right ingredients, and now we got to put it together and uh, look for some significant improvements next year to be a playoff team and and find ways uh, after that to get uh, and reach our goal you're in such a rare and an, an amazing position for a head coach in this league where uh you know things don't work out in chicago but then you become the bell of the ball everybody wants to be in the joel quenville business everybody's chatting you up as maybe the next coach for their team i was curious how how far down the road you might have gotten with with other teams be it a uh, philadelphia be it a buffalo whoever uh, before deciding on Florida, or was the target always going to be to uh, get back with Dale and, and join the Panthers? Well, it's a uh, you know in this in the business you get to watch and you get to, the opportunity to, uh, to see you know you're not sure what's going to happen next and uh, what's going to be available and the timing on it and the opportunity. But uh, it was it was unanimous across our family where we wanted to go and what. Uh, what was a great situation here. We all wanted to be here in uh, South Florida. And uh, so that, that made the decision uh, when we looked at uh, the opportunity to win and uh, the destination with Dale in South Florida was uh, was was a perfect fit. And we're, we're extremely happy and, and know if we feel we did the right thing. You mentioned that you watched a lot of hockey last year and you also watched it from a different vantage point. I'm curious, is there anything that you learned or noticed in the last year that's going to make you a different coach uh, next year? A good question. You know, you don't have any skin in the game. It's like almost like it, I watch games looking at players. I watch players uh, more from a skill point of view. I mean, you know, guys you, you potentially uh, would say, geez, I'd like to coach that guy or this guy's got some great skill. 
Um, you don't take out, you know, looking for all the little details, technically uh, tweaks that are going on in games, and uh, but you you watch and you observe, and then you, hopefully you learn more about players. Uh, now we look for maybe tighten it up a little bit more now that uh, we have a, a position here, and uh, when the playoffs begin, you get to watch some series, you get to watch both players and systems, and uh, and we see adjustments and. Uh, this is what we play for the whole season and then get to enjoy. So I'm going to look forward to this coming up uh, playoff run here and, and uh, knowing that next year we want to be one of them. You, you mentioned yesterday and then also uh, today with us about the kind of parallels between the Chicago team you took over when you became Blackhawks head coach and this Panthers team. Uh, the, the one that sticks out to me and a lot of people obviously is the uh, 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 Sasha Barkov as Jonathan Taves uh, uh, comparison that we've heard many, many times. But I was wondering about uh, the big picture. I mean, do you do you kind of see from a sort of a psychological standpoint a team that maybe doesn't quite know how to win yet that you come there and, and, and teach them a thing or two about getting over that hump? Do you, is that sort of the parallel you see or is it more personnel-based? Well, I think it's... Uh... It's a. It's. I'm, I'm going to give it to the, the players that uh, that are here. I mean, it's. You look back over the, the course of the last two years. I mean, there are only a couple of wins each year to be in the playoffs, and uh, this team's at a at a at the stage of their career. They're young guys. They're, they're looking to get better. We got some young guys that are looking to get to that next level of being a top player. Um, and I find the more top players you have, they, they make players around them better as well. And we need to capture that type of an appetite around here and. And when you when you're pushing one another, uh, I look back to you know whether you're talking about Johnny and Kaner, um, but I see a lot of guys here that uh, look like they have that ability, and there's some guys that aren't even in the lineup as uh, as players in the organization that you can get uh, excited about. So that's that's where it's at right now, and and I think that uh, the push has got to come from hey, we want to get in, we want to be a playoff team, and. Uh, and let's get excited. Let's spend uh, the summer here training like we never had, and knowing that it's a real uh, it's a real goal. And uh, this team needs to play in the playoffs. I know a lot of players showed up yesterday for your introductory press conference. I'm curious, what's your plan for the summer to get to know the guys? Are you going to visit any of them? What's the lines of communication going to be like? Uh, we'll we'll get to talk to everybody here. We held uh, organizationally right now. We're talking a lot about uh, our, our our team. Um, and, uh, that's, uh, we got Dale going to Toronto today, going to, uh, the draft lottery. Um, so it's a, uh, you know, we'd like to get a little more familiar with everyone. Um, and, uh, and, and knowing that day, we want to do everything we can to, to make our team better and getting to know our staff that's here right now and putting the coaching staff together as well as, uh, these steps will be taken. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, I look forward to seeing, I got the chance to see everybody yesterday. Uh, a lot of faces I, I look forward to getting familiar with and know exactly who's who. And, uh, you know, a lot of good things though when we're talking about our players right now that there's a lot of, a lot of players here that have ability that uh, could be something special. Uh, last one, uh, and, and I much appreciate your time. Uh, we both do, Joel, uh, for this. So I imagine that they probably gave you a good idea of what the, uh, off-season plans are from a transaction standpoint for the Florida Panthers. And while we're not going to get into specifics, I wanted to ask you, do you think that your presence there might help in some way to attract some of the big-name free agents this summer? Um, I don't know about that. Um, I, I know that, uh, you know, we're we're definitely uh, looking to improve. And, uh, and when you go into that uh, – 
free agent market, hey, it's a competitive world over the last uh, years. And, uh, and and when you go into those type of situations, you want to make sure that you're, you're, you're making the best decisions as possible. Um, but it's an attractive place. Uh, I think there's a lot to be excited about coming here. Um, and uh, and we'll, we'll see how that plays out in the market. Uh, that's uh, sometimes, uh, you know, you don't know what you're going to get at the end of it all. Um, but I think a lot of teams right now are probably have the same mindset. What do you think is a better right, well, recruiting I, pitch, uh, playing with Sasha Barkov or living uh, by the beach? <laughs> Say that again? What's the better recruiting pitch? You get to play with Sasha Barkov or you get to live by the beach? Uh, it could be a daily double there. <laughs> I lied. One more. Yeah, one more for you. Chris Pronger. You coached this guy back in his mid-20s. He's now an executive with your new team. What's your what's your relationship with Prongs like these days? And, and have you uh, uh, interacted with him much in, uh, since taking this gig? Uh, I've talked to Prongs. Look forward to talking to him more. And uh, and I, first thing I said, Prongs, you, you, you think you can still play? <laughs> uh, but I was privileged to coach him because he's one of the he, he's one of those players that uh, when I was talking yesterday about special players and you mentioned Taze and Kane that uh, over the years that uh, you know these guys make the coaching staffs uh, as good as they can possibly be. You're lucky, you're fortunate, and privileged to have a guy like that on the ice for at least half the game. Um, makes you a lot smarter and uh, it's a uh so he i was lucky to be around him he's got a great opinion of the game saw sees the game like uh nobody else did um so i look forward to having uh him and talking with him as we go along here and uh right now we're we're kind of been busy and uh, but the prongs is uh is uh somebody that uh has a great opinion and i look forward to uh getting that and talking about that as we go along here well listen congratulations um Emily and I both wish you had waited a little bit longer so we could have squeezed out a little bit more content about where you'd end up. But uh, we're glad that for the sake of you and your family, you made a good, quick, and uh, a solid decision to uh, hook up with the Panthers. And uh, good luck. this Have fun this summer, man, and good luck next season. All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks to the Florida Panthers and their new coach, uh, Joel Quenville. And you know what? I wanted to ask him that question for so long about the shots keys, and we discovered a little bit about his answer. Uh, but did you guys know that Discover is the official credit card of the NHL? And with Discover, you can show how much you love your team everywhere you shop with a personalized card featuring your favorite NHL team's logo and colors. But no matter what team you root for, Discover is committed to rewarding all of their new card members with cashback match. Only Discover offers a dollar-for-dollar match of all the cash back you've earned at the end of your first year automatically. No caps, no signups. Redeem your rewards in any amount at any time, and they never expire. With all that extra cash, you can treat yourself to center ice seats at the game, your favorite player's jersey, or maybe buy some new headphones to listen to your favorite podcast on. So try it and believe it at discover.com slash NHL. Only for new card members, limitations apply. And Greg, limitations unfortunately applied for the Chicago Blackhawks and Joel Quenville's old team, but they do not apply for the rest of the teams that are in the Western Conference playoff race right now. <laughs> A++ transition again. Thank you. Uh, Dallas Stars and the National Predators to kick off our Western Conference uh, first-round previews. This is one that I could not figure out at all. This is a real tough one. Arguably for me, the hardest uh, series to prognosticate, if only because... The Dallas Stars have, without question, the best goaltending in these playoffs. With all due respect to the New York Islanders, I'm going to take Ben Bishop in a seven-gamer before I take Lanner or Grice. And uh, their offense is a bit tricky. When they reunite the Triforce of Alex Radulov, Tyler Sagan, and Jamie Benn, quite good. 
but they sprinkle them through the lineup in the hopes that they can generate enough offense to keep up with the other teams in the Western Conference, and sometimes it doesn't always work. I think from a depth perspective, I'm going to take the Nashville Predators in this series in seven games, hoping that Pekka Rene puts together a performance in the first round that matches or at least keeps them uh, in the series against a very, very good Ben Bishop. And if he goes down with injury, a very, very good Anton Kudobin. But at the end of the day, I think that the uh, Nashville Predators uh, tip the tails uh, is a better or a better team uh, than the Dallas Stars. I'll take them in seven. Yeah, my thing with the Stars is that Jim Montgomery came in and he was like, we're going to be a fast-paced team, up-tempo, we're going to be a possession team. And then I feel like he just saw the personnel that he had and he's like, we're going to be a checking team, we're going to be very defensive, <laughs> and this is who we are. And you have to give them credit for adjusting on the fly. You know, this is the team that's had to adjust a lot on the fly to new coaches over the last couple seasons. Uh, but like you mentioned, you know, the Stars have scored just 209 goals this season. It's the third fewest in the league, and 89 of them, that's nearly 43%, came from that trio of Radulov and Sagan and uh, Ben. And Ben hasn't been his best self. So, um, you know, when I look at the Predators, I see a team that on paper is as good as they have been the last two years when they've made long runs. The problem is they just haven't looked right. None of the guys that David Poyle has gone out have really gelled the way they imagined. Way Simmons isn't improving the power play. Granlin's been meh. Um, you know, Brian Boyle, meh. Uh, so all of that said, you know, there's a lot of ifs, but they're a more seasoned team, and I believe in Pekka Rene. I really do. So uh, I got this, the the Preds prevailing, I believe, in six games. Yeah, and, and you know, it's interesting. The expected goals against uh, per 60 for Dallas puts them sixth in the league, and yet the difference in expected goals per 60 between offense and defense for Nashville and Dallas is identical. So although they have a huge advantage, I think, in, in defense and goaltending, it all kind of evens out in the end. And if that's the case, I'm going to take the Predators plus the home ice uh, here against a, a Dallas Stars team. But again, one I really, really stressed over, did not really have a good feel for this one because I do love Dallas's goaltending. Winnipeg Jets, St. Louis Blues, speaking of goaltending, I'm going to go with the wave of public opinion here to say that the Jets are broken, the Blues are really good, and Jordan Bennington and the Blues advance in six games over the Jets. This is one, Emily, where you got to decide whether or not you're going to buy into the idea that a team can slam the reset button, find its mojo when the bell rings for the playoffs, because if that's the case, pick the Jets. But that might not be the case uh, when you have a Blues team that's playing well with a great young goalie uh, and feeling pretty good about themselves. I'm going to take the Blues in the series in six. I've long been on the Jets bandwagon, and I'll tell you why. I believe they can flip the switch, and I believe it starts with one of their young players, and that's Patrick Laine, who has shown us that he's one of the streakiest players. When he's hot, he's hot. When he's cold, he's cold. I actually saw him in Chicago last week, and I was like, Patty, how are you? And he said, expletive. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. How's your season? He goes, also expletive. I said, okay. What do you think will happen? He goes, I don't know. If I knew it, I wouldn't be expletive. Um, <laughs> All that said is, I think for him, it's just a switch and it can, turns on, get, say he gets a goal or two in the first game. He scored five against the Blues earlier this year. Uh, he starts to get going. They get Morrissey back. He's a huge part of their power play and what they do on defense. They got Buff back now. Buff kind of turns it up in the playoffs. Connor Hellebuck, I know he hasn't had the best season, but I think he's going to be locked in and I, I think he is going to be strong in the playoffs and he's been there and Jordan Bennington hasn't. So those are the reasons that I'm tipping my scale towards the Jets. And the Jets, obviously, through the virtue of having three regulation or overtime wins more than the Blues, have home ice here, which could be a huge factor as well. Um, the Calgary Flames and the Colorado Avalanche. I'm going to take the Flames in six. Uh, Phil Grubauer has been 
one of the best goalies in all of hockey for the last uh, month, month really and a half goalies, or so. Yeah. A really rolling towards the end of the year, playing with confidence. Could see a situation in which the, the Avalanche end up stealing a game one or something like that in this series. Uh, the Flames goaltending gives me pause. One, because it's below league average. Two, because apparently maybe Dave Riddich could be a little nicked up heading into the series. He's going to back up Mike Smith anyway. But the overwhelming offensive power of the Calgary Flames, I think, is what's going to end up winning this series for them. And they can also throw that Backlund-Kachuk line up against the McKinnon line and see what they end up with as well. Uh, I'll take the Flames. I like their depth a little bit better. Uh, and I'm hoping that their, their goaltending doesn't fall apart uh, against a very, very good Philip Grubauer. Yeah, um, look, this is somebody, a, a team that I, I want to believe in more, uh, the Avalanche. I really do. I actually think that they are going to make it a bit more of a series. I think this can be a trap game. But the Flames have just been too good offensively. They probably have the North winner in Giordano. Yes, goaltending is a big if. I, I, I think that could expose them later on in the playoffs, just not against uh, this Avs team. But I have to give credit to the Avs because, like you mentioned, Grubauer really turned it on lately, and their depth has been flexed in a really big way. I mean, they made this push to make the playoffs, and they were at Rontanen for a ton of that time. Uh, he probably comes back for the playoffs. So that'll be a boon for them. And they're, like Bucci said, heading in the right direction, just not quite there yet. And then we get to the Golden Knights and the San Jose Sharks, my goodness. So there are two parts of your body that make playoff predictions. <laughs> your heart and your head. And my head says Vegas because they're quite good and because I can look at something called save percentage and I believe the Golden Knights will have it and the Sharks are last in the NHL in it. My heart for obvious geographic reasons, but also because I quite like watching this team in the playoffs. Wants the San Jose Sharks to win the series. But I think the Golden Knights are going to win in seven. Uh, Marcia So line being what it is, arguably the best line of the team now is Pacioretty, Stasny, and, and Stone. Um, there is a part of me that wonders with the re-addition of Carlson to this lineup if maybe the defense actualizes a little bit in front of that cruddy goaltending. But... It's just kind of like the Jets for me, Emily. It's like, can you slam the reset button and have Martin Jones play like the Martin Jones we've seen in the playoffs? Or is there just something fundamentally broken about Jones and Dell this year uh, where the Sharks can't advance with that goaltending versus uh, Marc-Andre Fleury? Any other team in the Western Conference other than Vegas, I might be picking the Sharks in that series. But against Vegas, I have to take them in seven games. Yeah, I, I think we're just going to steal this line. They're their Penguins. Vegas Golden Knights <laughs> and the Sharks Penguins. They just can never get past them. Uh, I feel for the Sharks. I really do. I, I, I'd love to see it all work out. I love the fact that Doug Wilson has been a big game hunter and has brought all of these stars together to help his aging core win one. But sometimes it just doesn't work out. And for whatever reason, I just can't get behind this team. And that reason is probably the goaltending, as you mentioned, Martin Jones. Now, um, I think Vegas is probably being a little highly rated because of their run last year. If you look, there have been some flaws in their game this year. But mm-hmm. uh I just think that that golden misfit magic, they still can conjure a little bit of it up. I think Stone is such a huge addition. So is Stasny. Uh, and, and I think they're just going to take it in seven. With all due respect to the Golden Knights and the amount of uh, hotel points that I gather when I stay in Vegas mm-hmm. for games, I, I've, there's not a single pick I've made in the last on, uh, on this podcast that I hope I'm wrong on more than the Knights in seven. I wish the Sharks advance in every, every fiber of my being. I just don't know if it's going to happen. 
All right, there's your Western Conference. Now it's time to turn our attention to a slightly lower level of hockey, the NCAA Men's Ice Hockey Tournament, the Frozen Four, with our good friend John Butchagross. Joining us now on the line, John Butchagross, the fr- Frozen Four, coming up on April 11th, Key Bank Center in Buffalo. That's where our boy's going to be. Uh, Minnesota Duluth against Providence, Denver against UMass. So let's get right to it, Booch. Break down the Frozen Four for us. Well, it's the year of the defenseman in college hockey, uh, and I think this, this has been a very low-scoring NCAA tournament so far, uh, the lowest since we've gone to the current format, and that should continue in the Frozen Four. Um, these are really defensive-minded teams, especially Denver and Minnesota Duluth, maybe less so Providence and UMass, so it'll be curious to see will we get the two defensive teams playing against each other, Denver and uh, UMD in the same conference, or will we get the two maybe a little more on their toes Hockey East teams, Providence and UMass, against each other in the final, or will we get one of each? So that's kind of what I'm looking for here. And, uh, of course, the star of college hockey this year is Kale McCarr. Uh, He was good enough to play on the Avalanche this year, and who knows if he'll play – in the playoffs for them once UMass season ends either Thursday or Saturday. And he certainly will be in the NHL next year and be a, a, a rookie of the year candidate. So uh, that's kind of where we are. Should be a competitive, possibly overtime national championship winning goal. Uh, I'd like to call one of those. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you about McCarr because he seems to be especially the name that NHL fans are interested in right now. Can you just describe for us what makes him so special and, and maybe compare him to other defensemen you've seen in college hockey? And then secondly, if he really does, you know, make a debut for the Avalanche right now, do you think he could be a difference maker in that series and, and maybe help them out? He reminds me a lot of a Drew Doughty, Charlie McAvoy type. Uh, happens to be a right-handed shot. He's very daring, uh, very, you know, uh, offensive-minded really a guy that likes to take chances, an amazing skater, plays a little more physical game than maybe a McAvoy would, maybe more like Dowdy. Uh, he will hit. He likes to hit uh, on occasion. And j- just a phenomenal skater. He would certainly be a, a factor for uh, for the Avalanche. How much of an impact? You know, That's hard to say. I think he certainly would be. Probably, I mean, he'd obviously be among the six, whether or not he'd be in the top four or not. I wonder after a long season, carrying this team emotionally, he's probably nicked up with something. Um, if it's really worth it uh, to, to have him jump into the Stanley Cup playoffs, I think he can handle himself, much like McAvoy handled himself when he made his playoff debut. Uh, so I certainly think he'd be fine because he's such a great skater and a good player. But I, I, I just wonder if that's worth it and just give the kid the, the, the spring off, let him observe, and let him start fresh next year. Um, but certainly that's he, – he's a, he's a great player to watch. He's, he'll win the Hobie Baker on Friday. Um, and so it's been a great two-year experience. And the, the great lesson I think he's given first-round draft picks is he's been all in to college hockey for two years. Uh, he didn't go play for Canada, um, you know, over the holiday break. He, he came back this year. He's not. He doesn't have one foot out the door like we see a lot of first-round drift picks have, and so that's what I like about him. And I think that could be his uh, his legacy. Hey, uh, 
Speaking of the NHL, you made the bold prediction this morning that either Washington, Boston, Toronto, the Jets, the Sharks, or Tampa will win the Cup. Did you want to leave out the? Why did you leave out the Golden Seals? <laughs> well, hey, I just tell it like it is. Usually, about this time, there's only seven teams that have a chance to win the Cup. Seven or eight. Actually, originally, about two weeks ago, someone asked me. I had Pittsburgh in there, and I, I kind of took them off. I just don't think they have enough scoring against good teams. And I had Vegas on there. But I think I've been overrating Vegas a touch, so I took them off there. Mm-hmm. They just haven't, over the long, I mean, didn't the Canadians have more points than Vegas this year? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think we've overrated Vegas a bit from the experience in last year's team, although they have a lot of good players. Uh, I just wonder, perhaps, we've given them a bit too much credit uh, this year. So, yeah, so I, 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 you know, so obviously a, a Predator fan. I didn't have the Preds on there or the Blues. So, uh, you know, we saw the, the, the Kings win the Cup a few years ago as an eight. But in my mind, I just don't think every team has a chance to win it. Who from this playoff year would make you the happiest if they won the Cup? Like, Washington was a hell of a feel-good story last year with finally breaking through, beating Pittsburgh, Ovechkin, the whole thing. Who's that team for you this year where you'd be over the over the moon if they, if they hoisted it? Hmm. I guess in some ways I am rooting for... You know, Stamkos and those guys to win down there. I, I, I do think it's a great organization of good people and uh, professional people who really are committed to everything. I like John Cooper a lot. Uh, so, I, you know, I'd like this. Tampa winning would be one, like you mentioned, kind of a fresh, feel-good story uh, for sure. But I, that would probably be the team I look at the most uh, that I say, you know, I, I kind of hope they get that done. Or second would be, you know, the Sharks and Joe Thornton. Uh, and that would be pretty cool. He's such a likable player. He's got, you know, a top three NHL face right now that you just look at his face and it makes you laugh or it makes you happy. <laughs> um, him and like him and Brady Kachuk, I think, have the best faces in the <laughs> NHL. Kachuk is like a, Kachuk is like a, I don't want to say a Simpsons character. I'm trying to think of a better animated, like if he was animated, what, maybe Rugrats. I'm trying to think of the, he's, the animated face. He's he's if if uh, John K from Ren and Stimpy tried to draw Jack Eichel. Yeah, something like that. You're right. It, it, that that that's that era, the Ren and Stimpy, um, early Rugrats, kind of like mid '90s, late '90s animation. That's Brady Kachuk's face in real life, and it's just awesome. <laughs> Keith Kachuk's kids have awesome faces, and uh, of course, Keith had a great smirky smile face too. And uh, so yeah, so Joe Thornton and the Sharks uh, would be a and, you know, obviously Brent Burns. And plus, what's good about that cup, they would have, I think, they would rival Washington's gong show celebration videos. <laughs> Can you imagine what Thornton and Burns and those guys, oh what they would come up with? Well, yeah, I mean, for Burns, it would involve live animals on the ice, like snakes and stuff. Yeah, li- so that's pretty right, good. Live animals, and you're right, and uh, uh, four-wheeling, and, and who knows what, uh, what else. What other hijinks? So, yeah, so those will be my two in each conference. All right, well, Bucci, we mentioned Quinn Hughes. We haven't mentioned Jack Hughes yet, and we're doing this on the eve of the draft lottery. So I think people just want to have a little bit of context of how good this kid is. So let's play revisionist history. Let's say the draft is this year, and all these players are draft eligible. Connor McDavid, Austin Matthews, Jack Hughes, and Jack Geichel. Who do you draft where? One, two, three, four. Woo! Well, McDavid's going one. Matthews is going to go. I think Matthews would go two. 
in, in terms of uh, Eichel and Hughes are close. Eichel's big and strong and and uh, can really shoot it from distance. He can score from distance, which I think is an underrated talent um, throughout NHL history, scoring from distance. And uh, but man, Jack Hughes is really special. He's I think he's in that you know that Clayton Keller. Who I, when I first saw Clayton Keller play, I go, boy, he's kind of like a, he's like a little smaller, obviously not quite version of Sidney Crosby, like that kind of game where he just is a savant mentally and he's chippy a little bit. Especially Keller in college was very chippy and and mm-hmm. and, uh, and chirpy, and, and I like I love that edge. He doesn't seem to be doing as much in the NHL. Maybe he will as he gets more comfortable. But boy, I that's a, that's but I do think Hughes is going to be in that, you know, top top 15-point score, um, kind of a savant player who makes everybody better. You know, people know who play with him, how good he is. I remember covering Boston College in their Frozen Four when Gaudreau was his last year there as a junior and with Kevin Hayes and Billy Arnold. And just talking to those guys, because remember, there was a question whether or not Gaudreau could play in the NHL. And talking to those guys, which that's, I'll do tomorrow for the Frozen Four, it's one of my favorite parts, is talking to these guys one at a time, one team at a time, seven to eight at a time on a team. And, again, these guys are going to be in the NHL in the future, and then I love seeing them come up, and I can recall those conversations. And, and just talking to them, they're like, you don't understand. Johnny's – Gaudreau is a he's – a, he's a genius. He's, a, he's like a – he's a savant. And those guys who practice and see that stuff, they know. And it's like, wow. And it's, that's why I was convinced when I would write and say, no, Johnny's going to be fine. He's going to make it in the NHL. There's no question in my mind – it, 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 I drew out those conversations with his peers who had that look in their eye. When you see an athlete react a certain way, you know that that athlete's on the, the other level that they're not at. John Bucci-Gross, thank you so much for once again joining us. Everybody enjoy Bucci at the Frozen Four coming up this weekend. Thanks, man. When I get that juicy rumor, Emily, I'll text it to you. I know that, I, I <laughs> that is I so mean to our listeners, but I appreciate it. <laughs> Peace. Now it's time for Satch Got Your Number. Hey, Greg and Emily. So the NHL had 97 of these this season, the most since 1993. Overtime games. I'm going to say games in which the margin of victory was five or more goals. Oh, blowouts. Yeah. Let's find out. We're talking flying hats. This season featured 97 hat tricks, a cap era record. Flying hats, my friends. That was awesome. I wish, so Sasha Shandown, of course, does the Satch Got Your Number for us every other week in which he gives us a number and we have to guess what it is. When he said flying hats, I was confused because I thought he meant the actual physical hats. I'm like, that has to be more than 97. But now I understand what he's getting at. And it makes a lot of sense. I knew when he said like 93, it was going to be something offensive or oriented. That's like your pre-trap years. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was a good one. Good, good job, Satch. That was a lot of fun. All right. Now it's time for, uh, another friend of ours, uh, Linda Cohen joining us now on the line, Linda Cohen from, uh, increase on ESPN plus. It is the best wrap-up show you're ever going to see about the National Hockey League on a nightly basis. And Linda, in the Ask Linda segment today, we have a question from Sleeping Toads on Twitter. <laughs> that I made my day already. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> if that's his if that's his given name or his confirmation name. Um, but he wants to know, which team would you most like to see the draft lottery? To set it up, 
Montreal, Arizona, Florida, Chicago, Minnesota, Philly, Vancouver, Anaheim, Edmonton, the Rangers, Buffalo, Detroit, the Devils, the Kings, and the Avalanche. That's the order uh, from least likely to most likely via the odds in winning the draft lottery. Um, is there a certain franchise you would like to see rewarded with the top pick in which they would probably select American Jack Hughes? Well, I'm going to be totally objective, and people will be thinking, oh, Linda, you know, you'd want him on the Rangers. The Rangers would want him on the Rangers. And then um, out here, living on the West Coast now, I mean, I do a lot of stuff for the Ducks, and, you know, obviously that would be a lovely fit. But I really would like to see for the good of the National Hockey League. Um, I think he would be great in Los Angeles and help uh, rejuvenate this very old King squad and get them moving in the right direction. But I would also love to see Jack Hughes with the Edmonton Oilers and oh, playing God. with Connor McDavid. Oh, no. That's the... Go to the NHL, save Connor. Yeah. Yes. And by the way, that scared the heck out of me. I felt like I was his mother. I mean, I oh, when he got, almost got injured. Yeah. Leg injury. Yeah. yeah. Now, the thing about him going to Edmonton is that Edmonton has become purgatory for top picks. I mean, like, they all go there, and then we never see them again. No, I understand that, but that's got to end sometime. You know, I understand. But, you know, there are some franchises and some players you want to be put in position to succeed, and, you know, Connor McDavid needs all the help he can get. I'll tell you who would be very happy if any of our picks happened, and it wasn't Colorado. The Ottawa Senators. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, Linda. Thank you so much for your time. Anytime. Have fun and enjoy the playoffs. We'll talk soon. All right. Now it's time for our favorite segment each week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Our weekly oh, we look at sad hyperbole and strange narratives of the hockey media. Good one, Randy. Oh. Good one. It's Phil Kessel loves hot dogs in which we uh, point our super scorching laser beam of criticism at the hockey media. But you know what? Someone, Emily, has thrown up a mirror and bounced the laser right back at us. No. Because it's time for us to talk about our preseason picks versus what actually happened. Uh, obviously, we can't speak to Stanley Cup winner, conference champions, yada, yada, yada. That's yet to happen. But we can talk about our picks for the division winners. And as it stands, Emily, you and I actually had the same four teams to win the four divisions, and we're wrong in each pick. <laughs> well, you know what? Matt Murray is just going to have to rub it all in with his Vezina that I told him he's going to win. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> all right. So be it. We had we had the Leafs over the over the Lightning, which is a really great pick in a season in which the Leafs be, uh, the Lightning became the best regular season team in the history of hockey. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had the Penguins winning the Metro, and they of course finished uh, not even with home ice in the first round. We had the Jets winning the Central, which came probably the closest to happening, uh, only a few points separating them from the Nashville Predators. So, we'll, I mean, I'll take that as a as a smaller L. Then the larger L, which was both of us picking the Vegas Golden Knights to win the Pacific in a year in which the Calgary Flames ran away with the division. So four expert prognostications and four giant whiffs for both of us. Good times. All right, now it's time for Puck Headlines. Uh, Dateline National Hockey League. This was just announced during the show uh, as we taped it that Slava Voinov, 
uh, has been suspended for the entire 2019-2020 season, including the playoffs, for unacceptable off-ice conduct, obviously tracking back to his arrest for domestic violence uh, in 2014, um, and conviction for domestic violence, I should say. Uh, Commissioner Gary Bettman said, I have determined that Slava Voinov engaged in acts of domestic violence directed at his wife. Today's ruling, while tailored to the specific facts of the case and the individuals involved, is necessary and consistent with the NHL's strong-held policy that it cannot and will not tolerate this and similar types of conduct, particularly as directed at a spouse, domestic partner, or family member. All that's great. Why is this guy going to be back in the NHL? Just say no. You're a privately held business. Like, this is like a a constitutional right for Slava Voinov to play in the NHL again. Just say no. Just say you're not invited. We don't want you. Why can't they do that? Are they going to get sued? It's not as if they have a monopoly. He was just in the KHL. There's no reason that they couldn't have done that. The NHL does not have a domestic violence policy. They're the one out of the four sports that doesn't, which means every decision has to come across Gary Bettman's desk. The NHLPA will obviously review this, but you're right. They could have done whatever they wanted here, and this is what they decided was appropriate, and we'll see if any team sign them. Yeah, and that's the real trick, isn't it? Like The other part of this now is now that the NHL has wiped their hands of this, they don't have to be the ones to get dirty. They don't have to be the ones to go to court with the NHLPA over trying to ban a player from the league for domestic violence. They, they've passed the buck now to one of their member teams who then will have to either blackball this guy or, uh, sign him and then face the wrath of their fan base. So kudos to Gary Bettman and co for completely selling out all their teams, uh, and not taking a stand on the issue. Dateline Buffalo. Phil Housley gets fired. It appears Todd McClellan gets hired. By the Buffalo Sabres. Sabres obviously probably thought they were in the, the Quenville Derby. Uh, that was not the case. Todd McClellan's going to make a pretty penny being the second choice for a lot of these teams. The last thing we heard before doing the podcast is that he was Buffalo bound. Uh, but no like uh, press conference yet or anything like that, of that nature. Uh, what do you think about Todd McClellan resurfacing in Buffalo? Once again, a fired coach gets rehired pretty quickly. Inspiring movement. Really inspiring. Uh, yeah, the retreads are predictable, but so be it. So is the NHL. I'd love to see a guy um, like Ricard Gronborg get mentioned for some of these head coaching jobs. I think Gronborg will be in the NHL next season, but probably as an assistant. Um, it, it seems almost like a parody to me that teams like the Kings and Sabres are fighting over a guy that's now been fired uh, multiple times. But so be it. I, I think he'll be fine, and I think they need a veteran presence. So that's kind of all I have to say about that. It's a little inspired. It's a good landing spot for him, though. I mean, to, to have Eichel there, to have Rasmus Dahlin there. Oh, there's plenty the, to be excited about with that yeah, core. The endless amount of Pagula money. I mean, you, you, it's not the worst landing place for a guy. It's just really funny to think that, you know, a guy who couldn't win with McDavid will now try to win with Eichel. The irony is pretty ironic sometimes. Dateline Orange County. Willie Desjardins turfed by the LA Kings as their interim coach. One assumes Bob Murray not heading behind the bench of the Ducks. Uh, so both Orange County teams now looking for head coaches. If McClellan is Buffalo bound and does not go to the Kings, it sets up an interesting conundrum for what Rob Blake might end up doing there. And then for the Ducks, the obvious choice would be Dallas Eakins from uh, San Diego in the American Hockey League. Although, keep hearing things about maybe Dallas Eakins not necessarily being the guy that a lot of the players in the Ducks want to get that gig. Um, any Any inklings, any ideas on what's going to happen with these teams and their head coaching gigs? 
the Ducks, I'd like to see Dallas Eakins get it and then bring on someone like Gromborg as an assistant. I think that would be a really smart hiring pairing. I just do. As for the Kings, I don't know. I think part of their issue is um, finding the right coach with that personnel. They're stuck with so many of those players. We saw the way that Willie Desjardins just didn't know how to deal with Ilya Kovalchuk and how toxic that could become. So, unfortunately, I think this is a case where the players are going to dictate it, and, and I hope they find the right guy. Dateline, Philadelphia. So as the coaching carousel spins, Quenville to Florida, probably McClellan to Buffalo, all of a sudden Scott Gordon is in Philly. He's talking to the media after the season. He's getting to do his avail. Is interim coach Scott Gordon going to end up being head coach in Philadelphia just because there's no other better option? Possibly. And I I, I think that Chuck Fletcher is going to take his time with this thing. But uh, look, I, I think there were a lot of merits to Scott Gordon getting the job no matter what. Um, yes, of course, a Quenville would be a sexier name or a, a better get, so call it. But um, I, maybe there is some value in adding Gordon, a guy who could see some success with this group and let him grow with them. Dateline Edmonton. Connor McDavid defying the uh, aspirations of the Toronto-based media uh, says he's committed to make it work with the Edmonton Oilers. Why else would I have signed there, he said. Um, do you buy the, I, I talked about a lot about this on Puck Soup this week, uh, the, my other podcast. What about you? Do you buy the notion that we are just a few scant years away from Connor McDavid requesting a trade out of Edmonton? Or do you think that that is sort of an overblown projection by a lot of people? I think it's a bit overblown. I think it's a bit premature. Uh, I think he's committed to them right now. And when he said that quote, I was like, duh, what else is he going to say at this moment? You know, he's a good soldier. I think he's frustrated. He's got a team right now that is treading water and not going the right direction. There's not even a GM. So he wants to see the direction it goes. But to all of a sudden say, like, in two years, mark this date, he's going to start asking for a trade. I think it's a bit ridiculous. <laughs> uh, finally, Dateline March Madness. Congratulations to the Virginia Cavaliers for winning the national championship in men's basketball. A game that looked like a soccer score about 10 minutes into it became a pretty th- uh, thrilling overtime affair against Texas Tech. Then we got one shining moment, the montage of montages recounting the full tournament. Emily, as a sports fan, one shining moment. Corny or fantastic? You know, I, I probably would have erred on the side of Corny, but when I was at Sports Illustrated, I did an oral history of I'm Going to Disney, that commercial that played. It used to be after a lot of sporting <laughs> events, now it's just the Super Bowl. And when you talk to a lot of the participants of it, you realize how iconic it is and how what it means to the people who make it and get to do that. And I've always equated one shining moment on that same playing field. And you know what? If you make it into one shining moment, like that's something you could show your grandkids one day. So I love it. I'm in. You wrote that and then you went to Disney. Who knew? <laughs> then now it's time for the rant. Now it's time for the rant line. Hey guys. Norm from the Central Valley in California. How about some love for the, uh, the Detroit Red Wings finishing the season off in a high note? Where were these wins a few months ago? And they could have actually done something with them. So frustrating. Speak amongst yourselves. Bye-bye. Well, it's funny. If you go by the Adam Gold plan, which was the thing where um, it's an anti-tanking plan where the team that earns the most points after its elimination should get the top pick in the draft. The Detroit Red Wings would be rewarded for this late season surge uh, by getting the top pick in the draft. So 
maybe maybe now throw your support to that idiotic idea um and and the and the red wings would have been uh, rewarded for being so good after being so bad that's my advice to you sir the rant line is 860-516-1029 if you want to call up and vent your frustrations about anything in hockey life but that is ESPN on ice this week again Emily in Boston me in San Jose thanks to Joel Quenville man that's a pretty good get uh thanks to John Buchigras also a good get but i mean he kind of like is our friend so um, hope you enjoyed the playoffs. Hope the lottery went your way. And uh, we will talk to you next week and hopefully have some cool, exciting news about some podcast stuff coming up soon. Um, yeah, it's all for me. You got anything? Bye. Bye. Bye.